I'd like to try, Bezus Hashem, to focus on just one aspect, one element of what we mean when we speak of greatness of Gedoli Yisrael in general and of the Rav in particular. Gr- greatness, however, is, is multidimensional. So, by definition, the portrait this morning will be incomplete, will be unbalanced, but hopefully, hopefully, Be'ezus Hashem, maybe we can gain some appreciation of, of one aspect, one element of greatness. When speaking of Gedolei Torah, there are two different definitions or classes of greatness. The first, someone who knows Kala He has learned, mastered, remembers every daf and shas, every sif in Shulchan Aruch, every sif cotton in the shach, the taz, the magan avram, the biur hagra. He shares his ideas Torah, teaching, paskening. And unquestionably, such individuals are a great they're deserving fully deserving of the label of the encomium Agodol B'Torah Agodol B'Yisrael Agodol Hador and these Gedolim certainly comprise an elite Chabur there is however a small subset of that elite Chabur who meet a second definition of godless, of greatness. Perhaps it would be helpful to begin with a moshal before trying to put forth that second definition of godless. Let's reflect upon the following famous names from the history of science. Copernicus, Newton, Einstein. Clearly, each one was a great scientist. But Equally clear is the fact that their greatness far surpasses the mastery of astronomy and physics. Each one made fundamental contributions to their disciplines to the degree that one simply can't speak of modern astronomy without Copernicus. A person can't say that I'm interested in studying astronomy but I'm not really interested in Copernicus's discovery and, and what he contributed to, 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 to the field. A person can't seriously on any level contemplate studying physics without the, the contributions of Newton and Einstein. Or in other words, their discoveries have become axiomatic. Their scientific breakthroughs, chidushim, in quotation marks, have become foundational and fundamental. Their categories of thought axiomatic and indispensable. To finish with the marshal before we try to proceed in Hashem to the Nimshal, Copernicus, Newton, and the like were not merely great scientists, but they belonged to the subset of scientific greats. The ones whose discoveries became a fundamental and indispensable part of science itself. Lahavdil. The same is true 
in Torah and of Gedalei Torah. Let's begin by trying to illustrate this type of greatness from the Tkufa Sarishonim. We'll begin microcosmically by mentioning individual categories developed by the Rishonim in the context of individual sugyas and then try to reflect more macrocosmically. Shmuel presents a very puzzling din that that a person can sell a deed, a person can sell an IOU and then the seller after having legitimately sold the debt can turn around and he can forgive the debt in making sense of, of this very very perplexing din so Ibn Atam very famously basing himself upon a Gemon Bavavasa explains how when a, a debtor takes out a loan and incurs a debt so there are two Shibudim, there's a Shibud Aguf, there's a Shibud Nechassim there's the personal indebtedness that he bears, that he carries but then there's also the lien on his properties and then when you sell a Shtar you can only transfer the Shibud Nechassim the Shibud Nechassim which is a type of functions as a guarantor the same way you can have a, a co-signer who serves as the guarantor so the Shiva Nechassim serves as one's guarantor when you sell you can only transfer the Shiva Nechassim but the Shiva Nechassim functions as a guarantor the Shiva Haguf remains between the original Lova and Malva the original borrower and lender, which is why the original lender can then undercut the lien. He can undercut the Shiva Nechassim by being Mochel. The Mishnah in Shavuos has a, a, a din that ain't nishpah and altainas cherishot of a cotton. The Torah has a din of modem imiktas. If, if, if a person comes to court and claims a hundred dollars and the other litigant admits the $50, so then he has to take a shvur of modav on the on the balance. What happens if the claimant is a, is a minor? So then the din is, even though it elicits a hodoi, it elicits an admission, so ein nishban altainis chayr Comes the rimigash in, in his chidushim, and introduces a very, very fundamental distinction, and says that that would only be true of such a shvur as a shvur of modav where the shvur, where the oath comes in response to a taina, in response to a claim. It's the claim which is the trigger, which is the machayev of the shvur. Masha Enkain, in the case of shomim, where you deposit something with, with, with someone, and then he says that, sorry, I can't return it, it was, uh, it was stolen, armed uh, robbers broke in, so then he has to take a shvur, so... The Rimigash says this shvuah is not machmas taina because the, the one who deposits never knows for sure what happened. Here it's a shvuah which isn't machmas taina. It's part of the, the obligations that the Shomer accepted upon himself. So since it's not machmas taina, so then you would be nishva on the taina, of, on the claim of a cotton as well. Rava endorses the position that when it comes to Kriya Shema, only Pasuk Rishon requires Kavana. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkan Hashem Echad Ad Kan Tzorch Kavana Salev. 
mitzvahs truchas kavana should have to accompany the, the, the entire mitzvah. So the Ashbah famously explains that when it comes to Kriya Shema, there are two kavanas to speak of. There's not only the kavana to fulfill one's obligation, to discharge one's obligation, not only the kavana lotzes, but also the kavana sa'inyan, the kavana to, that a person is knowingly, consciously being makabal olav, omachushamayim. Well, when, when the Rambam speaks of Kedusha Sa'aret and Kedusha Sa'amikdash, so the Rambam famously draws a distinction. He says that the Beis Hamikdash retains its Kedusha from the, from the first Beis Hamikdash, from the Binyan of David Ushlomo. He says, by contrast, Eretz Yisrael forfeited its Kedusha when we went into Golis Bavel, and it was only Niskadesh again, Bimei Ezra. And then the Rambam says very famously, Veloma ani Omer, and why, why do I draw that distinction? Why do I think that, that Chorban affects, Chorban caused the forfeiture of Kedusha Sa'oretz, that the Kiddush of Yehoshua was undone, but the Kiddush of Mikdash and Yerushalayim was not undone? So the Rambam says, because the Kiddush of Yehoshua was accomplished by Kibush, by conquest, you undo the conquest, you undo the Kedusha. Masha and Cain, the Kedusha's Hamikdash was because it induced the Hashra's Hashrina. Ushrina ene betela olam. And physical destruction cannot affect the, the, the Shrina. The, the, the Gemara says that when you weed, when you, when you pull weeds from the field, so that's a tolda of Choresh. It's part of the, it falls under the, the rubric of, of plowing on, uh, on, on Shabbos. Plowing is to improve the, the soil, to improve the terrain, which is what weeding does to facilitate its, uh, its fertility, for, for, that it should be fertile when you plant there. But then there's a very puzzling distinction between whether or not you do the weeding in your own field or in your friend's field. In response to that, in response to some other Gemara, so the Orach very famously introduces his distinction between Epsikreshit and Nichalei, Epsikreshit and Nichalei. Whether the unintended consequence is something a person welcomes, or whether or not the unintended consequence is something that a person is disinterested in. Well, what's the, the common denominator of these examples which could be multiplied, not well, literally, ad infinitum, but, but almost, almost, is that in each of these examples, the Rishonim developed conceptual categories and frameworks which have become indispensable. One simply can't seriously think about any of those sugyas without operating with and or responding to those fundamental, what have now become axiomatic categories. And what's more, very often, these categories of thought and conceptual frameworks that the Rishonim developed and discovered and presented within the context and confines of a particular sugya have applications and implications for many, many other sugyas in, in Shas, when the Ramban explains to us that a master has two different types of kinyanim in his Eved Knani, the, the Oruch's distinction between, an intend, between a welcome unintended consequence and one that a person is disinterested in, 
etc. These, these categories are, are indispensable for many, many sugis in Shas. Now, the examples that, that we tried to, to survey were individual chidushim. And these examples are only representative of the vital contribution each of these Rishonim made to our ability to think about and to understand Tarsha Belpet. It's, it's unthinkable. It's, it's ludicrous for someone who wants to seriously learn Shas to say, but I don't need to know what Rabbeinu Tam had to say on, uh, on, on, on the Sugis. I don't need his categories. Again, not just his, his, his individual concrete interpretations, but I don't need his categories. I don't need his conceptual, his conceptual framework. I don't need, I'll, I'll, buy a, I'll buy a Gemara without a riff in the back. I don't need the Ramban's Muhammad. I don't need to see how, how the Rambam conceptualized and codified a sugya. You can't study astronomy without Copernicus and heliocentrism. You can't study physics without Newton and gravity. And many of us, such as myself, are amaratsim about whatever Einstein said, but if you really want to understand physics, then you have to dispel that amaratsis and you have to understand what, what he said uh, about, about physics. Lahavdil, lahavdil, you can't study Shas without the categories, ideas, and axioms of the Gdali Harishonim. Not just the individual interpretations, but the ideas, the categories, and axioms of the Gdali Harishonim. What's true in, in the study of Halacha and Gemara is equally true in Agoda and Machshava. Again, that's a few well-known examples, and again, we'll try to move Mitz Hashem from the specific to the, to the more general. Any serious discussion or study of Betochen has to, among other things, focus on Rabbeinu Bachir's Shah HaBetochen, his definition of what it means to have betochen, his definition of, of how betochen expresses itself, his conceptual framework for the divine providence which provides the underpinnings for betochen. One, one can't study Chumash without learning and trying to understand the Ibn Ezra's famous comment on the Sachmar, how can the Torah seemingly legislate instinctive, visceral reactions? One can't speak of Tameh HaMitzvahs or of principles, psychological principles of human behavior without the Sefer Chinuch's category of Achrei HaPulos Nimshachem HaLevavos. Again, this time we're, we're illustrating, we're trying to illustrate the same idea, but this time in the context of Agod and Machshava, 
It's not simply that the Rishonim gave us interpretations of individual sugyas or offered uh, insights, but they developed fundamental categories of thought. Categories which are so, which are so fundamental that for us they're indispensable. And it's simply unthinkable and in any serious legitimate sense impossible to learn without operating with these fundamental categories. The Rambam and the Ramban, the greatest of the Rishonim, not coincidentally provide the best examples of, of our theme. There can't be any serious halachic or philosophical study of tshuva without the Rambam Silchus tshuva. One doesn't have an adequate understanding of Yiddishkeit, of Torah and Mitzvahs, without the Ramban on Kedoshim Tiyu, the Ramban on Shavoson, the Ramban on Vasisa Hayosha Vahatov. The categories are indispensable, they're axiomatic for our understanding of Yiddishkeit. Similarly, one can't, at least for us, study Chumash without the Ramban's explication and application of the Klal of Chazal of Maiso of Osiman Lebonim. The basic axiomatic categories of thought discovered and developed by the Rishonim have shaped and molded all subsequent study and understanding of Halacha and Agada. One can't speak of Jewish faith without the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. One can't speak of the Jewish conception of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in any deep, profound way without the Rambam's theory of negative attributes in the Mora, and so on and so forth. So to review for a moment, the second class of Gedolim, the elite of the elite, consists of those whose chidushim have become axiomatic and indispensable to our understanding of Torah. In addition to the mastery of Torah, itself a, a extraordinary, extraordinary accomplishment and, and one which is already uh, raises them to a very exalted level the second class of Gedolim, that subset of Gedolim Yisrael, are those whose chidushim have become embedded in the very fabric of Torah, indistinguishable from, from Torah, whose categories and frameworks have become axiomatic and indispensable for all future study. See, until now, we've tried to illustrate this definition and, and second class 
of Gedolim, of Godless, with examples from the era of the Rishonim. But this class of Gedolim certainly admits from the Tzkufa Sachronim as well. Right away in Halacha, so the names that jump out at us are the Ktsos, the Nesivas, Reb Kiva Eger, so on and so forth. In Machshava, the Maharal, the Machal, again, not to the exclusion of others. Within the realm of Halacha, let's focus for a moment on one of the greatest of the Gedolim, both prominent and preeminent within that second subset of Gedoli Yisrael, the Rav's grandfather, Reb Chaim. Reb Chaim's categories, not, not simply self-contained interpretations, sort of moving pieces around, but new. His categories are so breathtakingly new and so fundamental. He discovered and developed profound categories of thought and conceptual framework across the breadth of Shas from Zoram to Taharos. Categories and frameworks that revolutionized our understanding and appreciation. The Rav gives some examples of this. The dogma inyan shtaros b'halacha. Adrab chayim mivusas haya inyan za al klalim techniyim shal ksiva v'chasima shehein mechitzoni yutov shal hashtar v'tzurato mitzad echad al chazakos hamushvashos b'tfusei tkuva v'hanaga psychologi mitzad echad. Until the chayim, the whole topic of shtaros and halacha of 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 deeds was one of technical requirements for the writing and the signing of the, of the star and psychological presumptions about what the implications are of the star being in, in one person's possession. What did Reb Chaim do? Hu a little bit of a tongue twister here it's the Hebrew word for conceptualization but I can't really say it in Hebrew whatever he penetrated he tunneled he penetrated to a total conceptualization of the whole topic and for this purpose he sit he pushed aside the technical side and in its place and, and introduced ideal content and, and pure constructions and, and came up with a brand new understanding on these halachas the Rav illustrates it again with tefillah Until Reb Chaim, he says, tefillah was a question of, do you have to repeat Shemun Esrei? You don't have to repeat Shemun Esrei. 
ושוב, קטגוריות חדשות, מונחים שלא שמועתם אוזן מקודם, גוחו מתוך כבשונו של ההלכה, מייסה התפילה וקיום תפילה, קיום שבפעולה וקיום שבלב, כוונס התפילה שהיא גופה של תפילה, בניגוד לכוונס מצווה שאינה אלא תופעת חוץ, חפצה של חול ורשוס ונדובה, תפילס ציבור, תפילס יחד, כשתי חטיבס מסוימות. So Chaim distinguished, he introduced conceptual categories, the difference between the act of tefillah and, and the essence of tefillah, the difference of the role of kavani and tefillah as opposed to other mitzvahs, the difference between ashmonesre, which is obligatory, and ashmonesre that one undertakes as a rishus or as an adava, etc. Nefesh Achayim quotes from, in, in Shar Dalid from, uh, from, from the Zohar that Chidush Torah in this world create invisible Olomas El Yonim supernal spiritual worlds whatever whatever the Kabbalah Shabbal means there's an exoteric analog to that and that is that Chidush Torah, again, genuine Chidush Torah, not merely transposing and transferring old categories and ideas, but discovering new fundamental ones, create new worlds of thought. Just to, to clarify for a moment, just, this is a little bit of a digression, but, but just to clarify for a moment, when we talk about the Rishonim discovering, we talk about the Rishonim's chidushim, it's important to understand, crucial, to understand the difference between what the Rav in one place refers to, the difference between chidush and, and, and shinui. Chidush Innovation, discovery, doesn't involve or imply shinui change. Newton didn't change the physical world when he discovered the, the idea and, and the law of, of gravity. Nor did Copernicus change what the planets do and what the sun does. They changed our understanding of the world. They changed our appreciation and understanding of the solar system. They didn't change the, the world. With their new categories, they allowed us to recognize, understand, and appreciate what was always present and true in the physical world. The same is true, again, Lahavdil, of the new categories of thought of the second class of Gedolim. They're not changing the Masora. Kol Talmud Vosek Lifnei Rabo is Kwanam Lalamosh Misinai. Every Chiddush, every correct, true, genuine Chiddush which will be said was already given to Moshe Rabbeinu and Hasinai. The definition of a Chiddush is they allow us to recognize, understand, and appreciate depths and dimensions of the Masorah, of the words of Chazal that had eluded us hitherto. To return to, to our, our topic, the second class of Gedolim is a very, very select class. 
Moreover, especially in the Tzkufas Achronim, most such Gedolim either belonged to the class of Gedolei Halacha or Gedolei Machshava. There were very, very few who belonged to both classes, who belonged to that second class of Gedolim, the Gedolim whose contributions became so fundamental, so foundational, so axiomatic to, to, to learning, both in halacha and machshava. This gives us some perspective on Rav Salavechik. He belongs to the second class of Gedolei Hadoros and in both areas, both in halacha and in machshava. Maybe a good relatively easy and effective way to illustrate the indispensability, the axiomatic nature of the Rav's Chidushim and Halacha. If you take uh, the volumes of Yotzeh Shurim, or you can take the Divrei Torah reprinted in the Kovetz Chidushim Torah, or, or the Divrei Torah in the volume entitled Igros Agrid, For instance, one of the Yotzeit Shi'urim, I already wrote this in Uvikashtar Misham decades earlier. The Rav focuses upon a, a perplexing halacha in Masech Shvuas. If you have a Shem Hashem written with a prefix and a suffix, so the question is, do either the prefix or the suffix have Kedushas Hashem? When you write a Shem Hashem, so there's an Isu Mechika, the Sasun Kain, you're not allowed to erase a Shem Hashem. The Shem Hashem has Kedusha. What happens if you attach a prefix or a suffix? So the fact that it's, it's attached to the Shem Hashem, so imbues it with Kedusha, the Kedusha spills over, or no? Lo Sasun Kain, La Hashem, Elokechem, so the prefix and suffix are not part of the Shem Hashem. So we paskin that the suffix has Kedusha Hashem, the prefix doesn't have Kedusha Hashem. After demonstrating the inadequacy of the seemingly simple interpretation, the Rav explains so, so beautifully that the extraordinary substance of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's with bris with Avraham Avinu is lios l'chal elokim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whose existence is absolute, he is absolute and independent of anything and everything, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Avraham Avinu, I'm going to make a bris with you, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, that I will be known to the world, I will, will, will reveal myself to the world as a lokei Avraham. Lios l'chol acharecha. In this world, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, absolute, independent, transcendent, but I'm going to reveal myself in the world as a lokei Avraham, as a lokei Yisrael. And, and concomitantly exercise a special divine providence. The suffix, when we talk about your God, explains the Rav, is Niskadish with the Gedusha Sashem, not because it's a grammatical attachment, but because of a profound spiritual reality, the bris with Avraham Avinu. It's part of how HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself to the world is as your God, their God of, of Kal Yisrael. 
There was chidushim about Ben Ashmashos, conventionally assumed that the period of twilight, which we treat as Suffolk Yom, Suffolk Laila, is based on our ignorance of exactly when day transitions to night. So the Rav explains that really what generates that Suffolk is an intentional disparity that the Torah has between two different definitions of Yom and Laila. In each of these chidushim, the Rav discovered and developed such important fundamental categories of thought. He built olamos chadashim, new worlds of thought, that a person can't seriously learn these sugyas, think about these sugyas, without trying to understand what the Rav taught about these sugyas. As, as a very, very uh, little boy, so w- w- when the Rav was, was Machadesh, so his father would write the Chidushim up and he would send it to Reb Chaim. So Reb Chaim once received such a letter from his son, the, the Rav's father, and right away he ran to take his jacket and started running out the door. So the Rav said, asked him, where are you going? At the show of Sum Chazalig, Baralus Chidushim. Reb Chaim was, was Nispoel from just how basic and how fundamental the, the categories and, and conceptual frameworks were of, of, his, of his young, prodigious grandson. The Rav was second to none in applying Rav Chaim's Derech Halimud and building worlds of thought that are indispensable for us, that are axiomatic for us. The Dvaram, in his famous letter that he wrote before the Rav came to these shores, recognized this and says, that the spirit of his grandfather resides within him. But the Rav also belonged to the second class of Gedolim in Machshava as well. But here, perhaps a, 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 a word of introduction. Another moshal perhaps would be helpful. Let's this time, we, we could do it in, in science, but I think it's easier in history of philosophy. There are, lot, there are thinkers who made lasting seminal contributions to philosophy. Again, introduced very basic new categories of thought. But there were others, a subset, who surpassed that benchmark and they actually created new branches of philosophy, new sub-disciplines within the discipline of philosophy. They didn't just contribute axioms to the existing field, but they changed the field and the focus of philosophy. Modern philosophy, the modern era of philosophy was ushered in by Descartes with his skepticism, 
following by, followed by Hume with his empiricism and so on focusing philosophy in a totally different direction a totally different set of questions the Rav didn't only and, and, and hear this Rav say the Rav didn't only mightily contribute to Jewish philosophy but he created a new discipline within Machshava. His Chidushim not only contributed axiomatically to Machshava, but in fundamental ways redefined Machshava. What does that mean? Before the Rav, there was a rich history of Jewish philosophy, Rav Sadiagam, the Rambam, Rav Yudah Levi, to, to mention the, the most prominent of, of, of that exalted holy Chabura. Before the Rav, philosophy was a complement to Halacha. It was its own discipline, with its own set of questions and problems, its own foci, and for the most part, those questions were not answered by drawing upon halachic sources. The Rav, in an extraordinary pioneering contribution, single-handedly, single, you, you wouldn't have thought that it was possible in, in the 20th century that, 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 that there could be a chidushim of such magnitude, so momentous, but he single-handedly revealed a totally new, different relationship. Halach and philosophy not as parallel, complementary disciplines, but he developed the notion of a philosophy of halacha and tarte mashma. At, at the risk of, of being overly, overly superficial, but, but just to, give a, to try to give a little bit of a feel, a little bit of, of a taste for what philosophy of halacha means. This new, new discipline within machshava that the Rav created. Before the Rav, no one ever reflected upon halacha in an attempt to depict the legal system of halacha and understand it in philosophical terms. People learned halacha, but to understand what the philosophical perspective on the halachic system didn't, didn't exist. What did the Rav teach the following? And again, and I, I apologize for the superficiality, but maybe a little bit, just a, a little bit of a taste. The Rav taught that halach is an ideal system. Ideal from Lashon idea. What does that mean? All of the legal systems begin with concrete reality, 
and concrete situations and then in response to the concrete reality and concrete situations so then there's a need to legislate so people are going to be driving people are going to be driving in, in different directions if we don't have traffic laws and we don't have uh, red lights so then there's going to be uh, chaos and, uh, on, on, on the roads so the, the legal system, the traffic laws arise in response to the concrete problems of concrete reality not an ideal system, on the contrary, just a way of wrestling with, a way of grappling with, a way of coping with concrete reality. Halacha, the Rav taught, is different. Obviously, Halacha the Yivam Shalom intends for implementation in this world but halacha isn't a response to concrete reality and its needs rather it's an ideal blueprint to allow us to live up to its norms the laws of the red light in, in the secular system are there to serve us the analog to the laws of the red light and halacha are there for us to conform to them. There are countless, countless ideas, halachas and suyas and shas which, which only, only make sense in, in light of this understanding and, and depiction of, of halacha but philosophy of halacha meant something additional as well in, in, in the Rav's pioneering contribution the questions that philosophy it wasn't just a philosophy about halacha it was a philosophy that emerged from within halacha the questions that philosophy traditionally dealt with problems of freedom, causality, God-man relationship, creation, and nihility had never been answered based on halachic sources. The potential to discover what halachic sources say about all these issues had never been unlocked. And the Rav illustrated somewhat and charted a path to try to show how there's a philosophy embedded within halacha, a philosophy that emerges from within halacha. It's, it's 25 years plus at this point since the Rav's Ptira and the, the following is in, intended uh, descriptively not with any, not, not, not critically but Ad Hayom I think there is, the, the Rav remains tremendously underappreciated and in terms of 
his membership in that second elite, Sheva elite, Chabura of Gedalei Hadaras. The, the best way to encounter any any Godel is obviously to begin with his own words. Once a person has exhausted that, so then one looks for the reliable second-hand sources was so blessed with, 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 with Rav Shechter and, and uh, everything he and, and, uh, and uh, others to, to a lesser degree have done to help perpetuate but it, it begins with, with, with the Rav's own words it, it would be a tremendous accomplishment and takeaway from the focus and preoccupation with the Rav on the occasion of his 25th Yodzeit for us to try to make inroads and to correct that, that imbalance of, of his contributions, of his membership in that second class of Gedali Yisrael being underappreciated.